You are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio, Elena Rose Cress. We'll be right back with Rose, but first, let's talk about ease. Minds that are ill at ease are agitated by both hope and fear. Ovid. I like that quote because I've been struggling over the last couple of years to feel at ease. I am working a job that is a lot of hours of work. There's just a big pile of work to do every day. And last year, I was struggling to just get things done, just working, 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 and finally was feeling frustrated and angry and lashing out a little bit and, you know, at my my closest loved ones, which is never a good sign. And so I took a position toward the end of the semester that I wanted to be in acceptance, and I talked about it on this show, to just accept that I have a lot of work to do, and it's something I love to do. I love teaching, and so it's not a negative. And just kind of ease into that state of acceptance. And that helped a lot. It really lightened my load emotionally, and there was still a lot of work to do, but it felt easier. And then over the summer, I went to France and had a wonderful experience at an artist residency there. And I worked on some different things. I worked on curriculum for the next year. And then I had this revelation that I wanted to go into this semester just with a different attitude because I do get caught up in doing a lot of work and trying to do everything right and feeling sort of anxious and down and I didn't want to feel that way this semester. So I put in my mind the idea of ease. I just put in my mind and my heart that I could be at ease, that I could work a lot of hours and have a lot to do and be learning new things and trying to do a good job and still feel at ease and not anxious. I think that idea of being gripped by both hope and fear is true, that that is when my mind feels ill at ease, that I hope to do a great job and I'm afraid that I'm going to do something wrong. And honestly, I don't think there's anything to worry about. I'm teaching classes. My students show up. They have a good experience. I love teaching. So what's the problem? What's causing me to feel ill at ease? Well, it's my hopes and my fears. And I'm not going to get rid of all of my hopes and all of my fears. But just by approaching this year with the idea of ease, that I want to feel at ease with what I'm doing. And I want to accept that I'm working hard at something I enjoy. But to go through it gracefully and not stressed, that there's nothing for me to stress about. It's just helped remarkably to have that word in mind. And I actually have been sharing it with people as they tell me something they're struggling about. And I, I listen and then uh, share with them a little bit that I'm practicing this year being at ease, 
being at ease with my life, being at ease with my work. And that means letting go of some hope and fear, especially the fear and anxiety. Just let it go. It doesn't need to rule my day, and it certainly doesn't need to ruin my day. So I'll just end with a quote from Soigel Rinpoche. Above all, be at ease, be as natural and spacious as possible. Slip quietly out of the noose of your habitual anxious self. Release all grasping and relax into your true nature. Today we have with us in the studio, Elena Rosecrest. Hello, Rose, and welcome to the Depression Session. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so what's new with you? What are you working on? I just became the director of the Life Force Yoga Healing Institute. We've been around for, established in 2008, but really, that was more the business officially established in 2008, but since uh, 2003, it was started by Amy Weintraub, and she wrote Yoga for Depression, mm. and so, which I highly recommend for everybody to take a look at. It's really, it's her story of depression and her pathway out of depression, and so she was my teacher, and um, so I've been working for her since 2005, and then with her, and then I recently took on this role of director. So right now we've got a program coming up in January, the Life Force Yoga Retreat and Training, and it's for people suffering or and or working with people with depression and anxiety. So as you probably know, people that... I mean, just from the show, people that suffer from depression and anxiety sometimes go on to work in those fields or yes. that have family members. So we offer trainings and everyone's like, oh, well, yoga poses, I can't do that. And it's no, no, no. It's breath work. It's sound. It's everything but posture. So we have people in the clinical fields that you know, are sitting in chairs in small rooms. Um, wow. Yeah. It's, cool. it's very cool. Amazing things are happening with it. Um, just here in Tucson at the um, Southern Arizona Veterans Affairs Healthcare System, <laughs> or the VA, as a lot of people know it, um, Randy Todd works in the trauma unit. And so he sees people individually, but he's been running Life Force Yoga groups for about a year and a half now, I think. And the stories he tells me are just amazing. Mm. All these veterans doing all this yoga and sound and chanting, and it's really, really cool stuff. So um, it is, it's my passion, and um, I think I spend most of my... When I'm not teaching yoga, <laughs> I'm, you know, researching and developing content, and, you know, because of where I am as director, there's also a lot of infrastructure stuff, so... That's really, that's been the big shift and change in my life since August is taking on this um, massive role. Yeah. There's so many people suffering and we can use practices to help us, right? Yeah. You know? The thing I've realized with this show, everybody has a different toolkit that works yeah. for them and anything that you can put in that toolkit that helps. Yeah. And for some people, it's one thing. They find something and they're like, this is what I need to do. This works for me. And for other people, they need a little bit of medication and they need to do yoga. They also need to run five miles a day. Yeah. And they've got a, you know, a whole plethora of things that help them get through their day you exactly. know, in a way that's healthy or productive or, or that just works for them. Yeah. We believe we're whole. 
yoga is really about you are whole inside you're already there's no sense of separation deep deep within but a lot of times it's covered up with a whole bunch of crud (laughs) you know just life and all the things that happen to us and so we're clearing the space a little bit with yoga to begin to access the part of us that's whole i love it amy and i had a conversation yesterday after we talk to these people and she said you know i really realized today what i'm doing this is not about um, fixing anything or it's really about heartache as a pathway to wholeness Mm. and i said oh yes i so have felt that and so believe that it's so it's not about you know oh i'm depressed or oh i'm anxious or i'm a trauma survivor or i'm a victim or any of that it's really I've experienced heartache in my life. How do I how do I go there? How do I acknowledge that, welcome it, feel it, and use that as a pathway to my wholeness, which is already there wow. to uncover wholeness. That's a perfect point <laughs> to ask you. So Rose, tell us the story of your depression. Okay. Well, <laughs> my depression really there was a lead up to it. My depression really hit when I was about 17 in a really dramatic fashion. You know, as a child, I was really, I was really uncomfortable as a child. And the joke in my family was that I was always crying. (laughs) And as a little, little baby, and you know, there are pictures of me, you know, for like nine months. And in those pictures, I'm either sleeping or I'm crying, or I have my uh, plug in my mouth, or pacifiers, as other people call it. We called it a plug in my family because, for obvious reasons, it plugged me up. <laughs> and uh, so there's just a lot of crying. And then as I moved into you know, my younger years, I was really angry. A lot of families in that I've encountered, um, I think we're a family of finaholics, like, everything's okay. <laughs> And here I was having these really extraordinary uh, emotions. And I don't know that my parents really knew how to handle our rage. And I don't think I was a rageaholic, but I certainly, I raged. And, you know, anger was my protection for myself. So I had a hard time fitting in in school. It was, it just was a real struggle. When I think about my childhood, for me, I felt like, I could not wait to be an adult. It was like, when is this going to get here? And I kept practicing because I so wanted to be an adult. Even at like five, six years old, I would have dreams about driving the car and like, oh, I just, I want my, my goals as a little kid where I want my driver's license. I want to be 18 and I want to have boobs. So by the time I was 18, I achieved all my goals. No wonder I got depressed. I'm just kidding. So there was just that deep sense of discomfort, not fitting in. And as I aged physically, there was a part of me that stayed the same age. I think that had to do with when I was a little, when I was about five or so, my I'd been taking piano lessons for maybe a year, and I really loved the teacher. Her name was Echo Bell and here in Tucson, and she passed away. And she was kind of old and frail, but but I remember that. And I remember 
being really upset and I couldn't stop crying about it. My mother at the time, she had just lost her best friend to breast cancer. And so she took me to see a psychotherapist and, you know, I'm a, I'm a little kid. So the psychotherapist says, oh, so what, what kind of teacher was this? A swim teacher? And I just, I was like, the hell? Who are you? Like, how can you not know who Echo Bell is? She's my piano teacher. So I remember shutting off the grief and just like, I can't talk to this woman because, you know, she doesn't even know who people are. And, you know, when you're five, you think like, oh, I know this person. So everybody knows this person. As I grew, as I aged, I still felt like a little girl inside. And that kind of led up into those teenage years and, you know, when we're in high school and we're doing all that stuff, right? And so for me, it was drinking and smoking pot and smoking cigarettes and all kinds of naughty stuff. I guess I just outed myself to my parents on the radio. <laughs> but um, surprise, surprise, mom and dad, as though they didn't know. But I remember I went to summer camp and I was there as a, like a counselor assistant counselor. And I remember I was lying in bed taking a nap in the middle of the day because we would, you know, those of us teenagers, we'd be up in the middle of the night for hours and hours and hours goofing off. And I had this feeling of like, it was like swirling down the drain. And I felt really, really tiny. And I remember being horrified at that, like, oh, terrified. What is this? And it kind of passed. And uh, I was like, all right, but that was really weird. I don't even know what that was. And then as I came home in about that August, and I had decided for whatever reason I needed to switch schools in my senior year. <laughs> like, oh, I just need to switch schools. Like, oh, my brother's going to Amphi, so I want to go to Amphi. You know, why, why does he get to go and I don't get to go? And so he switched schools. I switched schools. I left South Point where I had been going to school with people that I had known since kindergarten, you know, neighbors, that kind of thing. And I think, and my best friend was going to be moving away and all of that just kind of piled on. And um, I just remember one day I lost, was like there were no more boundaries to my being. And, um, you know, I was, I lost all sense of self and I didn't know who I was. I mean, I knew who I was and I knew I was like on planet earth, but you know, you might call this an existential crisis or um, a deep spiritual awakening if you were from India, but I'm not from India. I'm from, you know, I'm from Tucson. And so this was just, it was terrifying because there was, in essence, there was no separation. I mean, I see it now and I say, I'm like, oh, there was no separation between me and all of existence from this planet to the furthest reaches of whatever is out there. It was really, really, really scary. And would say to him, I'd start crying because it was just frightening. And but at the same time, not feeling frightened. And I would say things like, Oh, you know, what's the point of all of this? You know, why am I like in school? What is the point? I'm just gonna die. My mother kind of recognized that I was having panic attacks, uh, so she got me to see a therapist. But at that time, I was I still we had maybe earlier in my high school education, we had um, encountered Sylvia Plath. She wrote The Bell Jar. And so she described her depression as like she was under a bell jar. And I knew, I was like, oh, 
I didn't understand it when I read it when I was younger, but in that moment, it was like, yeah, I'm under a bell jar. So I would get up in the morning, I would go to school, um, I would sit there, I wouldn't talk to anybody, I wouldn't ask questions, I'd listen, and then on lunch break, I'd you know walk off campus across the street, and I'd stand there, and I'd smoke cigarettes on my lunch break, no affect, no emotion, no nothing, and then I would go back to school, and then I would ride the bus home, and then I would have a panic attack that would last two, maybe three hours. I didn't talk to anybody, nothing. I mean, like, I disappeared. Like, when I left switch schools from South Point, I didn't even say that. No one knew what happened to me. I just disappeared. It was really, I didn't feel like myself. I didn't feel like anybody. So the therapist recommended I see a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist said, who saw me. I love the psychiatrist. I actually wish the psychiatrist could have been my therapist at the time, but she said, oh, well, just based on your history and the recommendations of your, of your therapist, you have a clinical depression. So the biochemicals in your brain are imbalanced. Your brain will fix itself in a year, but let's give you some medication to support you during that process. So she put me on medication, and within several days, it was um, I started feeling better. And you know, it was like medication. It was like the way I think we want pills to be, which was a miracle because it really brought me out of that. And I started making friends at school and interacting with people and being my normal self, which is bright and cheery, emotional and having emotions as opposed to just being. It's stuck in a jar kind of thing. Uh, it wasn't that, you know, I still had work to do. <laughs> there was still a lot of work to do. I had, um, I couldn't go to grocery stores for a while. I had panic attacks at grocery stores because I was like, why? I'm just going to eat this food and then it's going to come out the day later. Why am I spending money on this? And I started to be careful of that. And uh, so there was a lot of management. But I remember promising at that myself at that age, I will never... I'll never come back here again. And so every time I started to feel those feelings arise, I fought it tooth and nail. I did anything. And then I found yoga. And I really found yoga and dedicated myself to yoga in about 2002 when I was kind of sliding into that place. It changed everything. And through my process of yoga, you know, I have a diagnosable anxiety disorder. And um, some of your listeners may know, you may know this, but 80% of people with depression also suffer from anxiety. And you think of it as <laughs> when you're depressed all the time, how can you not get anxious about that? Or when you're anxious all the time, how can you not get depressed about your situation? So anxiety has been the greater running current in my life. And so managing anxiety has been a real important task for me to basically so that depression that bell jar doesn't you know it doesn't show up again and i've done so so much work a dedicated practice healed that rift i no longer feel like a five-year-old inside i was able to bring that part of me back to myself and i went through it you know i didn't it wasn't like i'm not going to deal with that so it was not easy and to this day it's not easy working with all of the stuff that's going on. But really, Amy says it all the time, the only way out is through. You can't go around, you can't go over. Spiritual, uh, premature spiritual awakening or 
sense where we come up, oh, I'm enlightened, but we haven't dealt with our stuff. And we see that all the time. But for me, it's really transformed my life because now I'm really dedicated to helping people just gain the tools so they can have those moments of peacefulness. And I'd like to share with my students, you may not feel the peacefulness or the calmness or the energy, but think of yourself as creating the conditions for that to arise. And the thing that I most want to say to everybody out there, and it's a lyric from my favorite artist, Tori Amos, from one of her songs, you are not alone in your darkness. Hmm. We're, it, if you think of the darkness, in many ways, there's so many people in that darkness. Maybe depression is your darkness, maybe anxiety, maybe trauma, what happened? Maybe grief is your darkness. And it's like we're all in this darkness together and we're all shouting out for help at the same time. And so in our own process and in that shouting out for help, we often don't hear that there are all these people around us. So um, you're not alone in your darkness. And you know, that first step of reaching out for help be it to a family member that understands, a friend, a professional, it changes our lives. Rose, thank you so much for your story. Oh, sure. I related to a lot of things in there. <laughs> I did not have an anxiety, depression-filled mm. childhood and teen years. Mm. I did have anger. Mm -hmm. One of one of my <laughs> high school friends, I just saw her over the summer, and she said, yep, Laura was kicking butt and taking names. <laughs> I have no perception of myself like that. I'm like, really? Is that how you all saw me? Yeah. But I, I do remember being angry and frustrated a lot with, with the people around me, mm -hmm. actually. It was sort of like, you idiots, what are you doing? You know, grow up. Mm -hmm. My feeling toward my classmates was grow up. <laughs> and here I am like 13, thinking to everybody else and sometimes telling them flat out, like, you should grow up and be more mature. Yeah. The other thing was the anxiety. I just was talking, we had a, we have meetup groups, the depression session meetup Tucson, which you can all find online through the meetup groups. We were talking about anxiety and depression and somebody in the group said, well, doesn't everyone with depression have anxiety? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, some people don't, but it's very common. They're very tied together. And maybe those people who don't just don't admit it. I don't know. Yeah. But that for me, I feel like anxiety comes first and depression follows more easily. Like I'm more likely to get anxious than mm -hmm. depressed. And when I told a friend that, he said, you? <laughs> and that's the crazy thing with depression and anxiety is that it isn't always obvious to anybody else. In the midst of trainings, we're working with people who for the first time are coming to yoga, we talk about it in terms of the yogic language. So tamas, which is a, a deep a lethargy and inertia, and rajas, which is an energy. And so when I'm introducing these terms, and you can answer these questions for yourself, but I ask people today during your day, and maybe not when this is airing because it's early in the morning, but have you felt a moment of lethargy? Right? And, and most of us raise our hands and, and have you felt a moment of like anxiety? And most people raise their hands. That doesn't mean you have a diagnosable, a diagnosable disorder or mental illness, but we all vacillate between, 
you know, this, you know, it's kind of slogging through the mud and I don't want to do this and deep lethargy and it's opposite, which is big energy and, and too much energy and frenetic energy. And when we have, you know, depression, we're often just stuck on one end of the spectrum, but that vacillation is still happening. And, and to know that for me was really freeing. It's like, oh, I'm exhausted right now. All right, let's be exhausted. I don't want to get out of bed. Okay, that's here. Let's feel that. Let's be with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's do this little breath. Okay. You know, when I really think about it, I'm like, oh, okay. There's still a lot of work for me to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. Still a lot of work. And, and I'm one of those people, you know, that I realized recently I love like going to do stuff and I love going to see people and I get excited for that. But when the day arises, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Mm. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go out and, you know, I'm, I think I'm really introverted at, by nature, meaning that I heal by myself. I'm highly sensitive. And so I need that alone time. You know, introvert gets thrown around. I'm like, really, everybody's an introvert now? <laughs> and I see people saying I'm an introvert and I'm like yeah no you're not an introvert <laughs> trust me right but that sense of I, I do need to go home and restore myself but so that realization was like oh there's still you know there's still more work to do will I ever be done I don't think so but it's really the great work of my life is me yeah. and coming to this place where I can feel at peace or as Uh, The Bhagavad Gita says, the yogi is one whose peace of mind is no longer disturbed by the chaos that surrounds them. Yeah. And that, that's my goal. Me too. (laughs) That's the goal. Me too. I'd love to, I don't want to get to a point where I don't feel anything, but that where that doesn't rule my day. Yeah. That when... I just, I wish I were calmer Mm. and people think I'm calm, which is the funny thing to me. A lot Mm -hmm. of people are like, you're so grounded. And I am grounded. You're so calm. And there's part of me that's calm, but I, I feel this compulsion to do and engage in a way that Mm. I know it's sometimes coming from a really unhealthy kind of energy. You know, you can feel the difference between like a healthy sort of like embracing life and being in the moment mm-hmm. and a sort of you know yeah. it's like it's like it's a little slower a little calmer um if you're really paying attention the breath is there you can really feel your body yes you're in this deep feeling state mm-hmm. and aware of emotions aware of your body yet not run by those things right and that's so that's so important and um just with what you were sharing with me um like oh well go to yogafordepression.com we have all these free practices and that's the other thing i really want to share with people is it's yogafordepression.com and that's f o r not the not the number, number 4 yeah not the number <laughs> 4 and there's a section it says get help and underneath that it says free mood management practices and there's just um, I just recorded one that was specifically to energize. So we call it stair step practice and you can read about it. And then there's an actual recording that you can listen to and you can download it. I call it to energize because it works great for people suffering from depression, but it works great for people that are having a moment of 
low energy. We really believe, I believe, Amy believes, everyone who's done life force yoga believes that there are pathways out. And like you said, you know, the pathways out and everybody's got to find their own little pathway, the thing that works for them. And I want to share that opportunity with the entire planet, <laughs> not just people with depression, not just anxiety, but every single human being, I think, deserves to know that this is a strategy that's out there. You might not use it, but you at least deserve to know that it's there for you. So thank you. Go that's... grab that stair step breath. <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect way to end the show. Yeah. Thanks for being on the depression session. Thanks so much, Laura. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you. You're listening to KTDTLP Tucson, Downtown Radio 99.1 FM.